Amen. Well, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, one in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4 in uh, verse 4, and then we're going to look over at the Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 4. And so you may want to open your Bibles to both of them. And uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, and also Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 4. I want to share a message entitled, More Excellent Sacrifice. Today we've been singing songs about the cross, and we've been focusing on the matter of the redemption that we have through faith in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And so we want to continue with that thought tonight, more excellent sacrifice, Genesis chapter 4, and then uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Hebrews, I mean, Genesis 4 and verse 4, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So it's amazing to see that uh, when uh, there was offerings being offered up before God, the offering that Abel brought was of the first things of the flock. It was a blood sacrifice that was offered, and uh, it was pleasing to the Lord. The Lord had respect unto the offering that Abel would offer. And then in Hebrews, the Apostle Paul writes about this offering that Abel brought in Hebrews 11 and 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you thanking you, Lord, for uh, the sacrifice of Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that we can know that we're saved and we're going to heaven uh, because the demands of a holy God were satisfied when Jesus laid down his life for the sins of many. When he died, he was buried, and he rose again, ascended up on high, Lord, and never intercedes on our behalf. And you were pleased with the sacrifice that was offered. Lord, we see the desire of God as it is fulfilled in uh, Abel, as he brings a sacrifice before his God. And it was a more excellent sacrifice. And so may we rejoice tonight in the sacrifice that... Uh, delivers us and redeems us. And may we also realize, Lord, how uh, precious it is to be able to take this truth and share it with others that they might also be saved. And so, Lord, bless us tonight as we study the word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abraham, uh, Abraham, good night, think about Abraham here. By faith Abel offered a, unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. We certainly know the story about Adam and Eve, the creation of Adam and Eve. It's uh, exciting to be able to read in Genesis that God would form Adam out of the dust of the ground. Uh, Adam was a direct creation from God. And uh, Adam would be uh, blessed because God would state that it's not good for man to be alone and that he would, uh, out of the man, create woman and uh, bring her unto the man as uh, his help meet. And however, as God would bless them and give them life in abundance, and you think of all that they had in the Garden of Eden, you think of every, every uh, uh, thing they needed to enjoy life, to be entertained, uh, to be satisfied and provided for, uh, to be protected and secure, everything they needed 
they had in the Garden of Eden. And uh, God would bring them there and bless them, and he would command them, do not eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. They are tempted by Satan, and as they are tempted by Satan, they fall into sin. And as they fall into sin, God brings his judgment on them in the form of casting them out of the garden. And when God cast them out of the garden, it tells us that God would provide a sacrifice for them. He would cover up their shame and cover up their nakedness with the skins of an animal. The animal would be slain, the blood would be shed, and their sins would be covered by those skins that were used to cover them up. Uh, God blesses them. He commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply, and they have two sons, Cain and Abel. The amazing thing is that Abel brought a more ex excellent sacrifice because it was one that was a blood sacrifice. The interesting thing is that Cain and Abel both uh, bring an offering before the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us where Adam and Eve uh, gave them instruction about offerings. The Bible doesn't tell us what time that Adam and Eve spent with their two sons in reference to what worship was about. But it, it's, it certainly is evident that Abel and Cain both understood the concept that God was to be worshipped through a sacrifice that was to be offered. And uh, when they came time to offer that, Cain would bring an offering that was the fruit of his labor, the work of his own hands. And uh, Abel would bring an offering that would be a blood sacrifice. As a result of that, Cain's offering was rejected. And Abel's offering was accepted by God, and beyond that was stated in Holy Scripture that it was a more excellent sacrifice. And I think we have to be careful sometimes that uh, we can allow familiar stories in the Bible to rob us of the reality of the significance that God not only stated in Genesis chapter 4, what Abel did in bringing an offering, but he confirms what that offering was and how it was accepted in Hebrews chapter 11. And so God is mentioning this offering in the Old Testament, confirming the offering in the New Testament, and that certainly we know, is a, we're going to see in a few moments here, is a picture or a type of sacrifice that Jesus Christ would offer for us. And so we sang songs tonight, Behold the Cross. We've sang songs tonight, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. All those songs that we've sang, sang tonight have no meaning whatsoever if Jesus Christ did not sacrifice himself on Calvary. Those songs have no value or worth if there is just any type of sacrifice that we can bring to God and everything should be accepted. Uh, God has established a more excellent sacrifice, and that was a sacrifice of the animal that was slain and the blood was shed that would be the fulfill, fulfilled in Christ as he would hang on Calvary. So a more excellent sacrifice. Uh, several things here. First of all is why is it a more excellent sacrifice? Number one, it's an excellent sacrifice because it's an acknowledgment. Abel was acknowledging his sin before God. And uh, the sacrifice he's offering is because of the fact he's aware that he has to be right with God. We live in a time, and certainly it's amazing when you try to witness to people, uh, they don't want to know who God is. They really don't think they have to be right with God. 
they're not willing to acknowledge their sin before God. And I'm not just talking about the unsaved crowd. I'm talking about the saved crowd also. And the sad thing is, is sin has become acceptable to mankind, and we ignore that something has to be done about our sin. And if we will not acknowledge our sin before God, then we're not going to be able to get the things right with the Lord. And uh, Abel's sacrifice that he brought was an acknowledgement of the effects of sin, not just on him, but certainly on his parents. Uh, he was aware of the fact that this sin was inherited from his parents. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, for we know in Hebrew, oh, not Hebrews, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul's very clear that sin entered into this world through one man, and that was through Adam. And because of that sin that came in the world through Adam, then all that down through the uh, times of uh, genealogies, a man is born in sin because of the sins of his parents. In Exodus 34, uh, Moses would pen that the sins of the fathers, uh, the judgment of the sins of the fathers will pass to the third and fourth generation. And it's amazing to see that when you have a generation like in Exodus that knew God, and then you have a generation that just hears about God, then you have a generation that knows not God, and then you track from that point on the effects of that on the nation of Israel, the sin, the bondage, the suffering that they would go through because of the iniquities of the fathers passing on to the third and fourth generation. And if, until someone acknowledges that we have sinned before God, no one's going to do anything about it. And Abel was willing to acknowledge that he sinned before his God and that sin he had in his life that violated the holiness of God was inherited from his parents. And so how we need to acknowledge the sin that we have in us. Not only was it inherited from his parents, but it separated him from God. And uh, sin always separates us from God. Adam and Eve, they were put out of the garden. I always think it would be an amazing experience that every day to get up in the morning and know that God is waiting for you in the garden. God is walking with you in the cool of the day. It's an amazing thing that God would have that closeness of a relationship with his creation. And that ended. It was cut off when sin entered into the garden. And, uh, you know, the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And I really believe that we need a refreshing and renewing of the Spirit of God in our lives, a repentance and acknowledgement that it's our sin that is withholding the blessings of God. Uh, there will be no revival in the church. There will be no move of God in the church and in the lives of believers until we're willing to acknowledge our sin before the Lord. And uh, so it separated from him from his God. It's separating from his brother. His brother was jealous because of his sacrifice being accepted. His brother would slay him. Death is always a separation. And uh, so sin always creates a separation from individuals and from our God. And so Abel was, had a more excellent sacrifice because his sacrifice was acknowledging that separation that needed to be crossed. It needed to be reestablished, that relationship. And the only way that could take place was through the sacrifice that was shed by blood. 
So he acknowledged his sin before God, that it was inherited from his parents, it was separated him from his God, but it also condemned him to hell. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 and 15 says, In death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is a second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The reality is hell is real. And the amazing thing is you look at the statistics among Christians, how many people who claim they're born again children of God denied the reality of hell. They reject the reality of hell. Uh, someone told me this morning that uh, President Reagan's son uh, acknowledged, on, I guess on some TV commercial or something, uh, acknowledged the fact that he was an atheist and he's not afraid of going to hell. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, he's going to be in a shock. Uh, because when he takes his last breath in this life, and he closes his eyes in this life, he will open his eyes in the torments of hell. The rich man in Luke chapter 16 died, and the Bible says, and in hell he was in torment. And the amazing thing is this, that we want, don't want to acknowledge that our sin condemns people to hell. Oh, you say, well, I'm born again. I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, that's wonderful, but your sin's going to trip up somebody else that may not get saved because they see you, who's supposed to be saved, living like a heathen. And so sin always condemns <clears throat> people to hell. Billy Sunday said this. Did I put these quotes on there? I did. I couldn't remember if I put them on or not. But Billy Sunday said this. Listen, I'm against sin. You know, these old-time preachers we quote all the time, if they were alive now and came in our churches, they'd be run out of town. They really would. The way they used to preach, the way they used to confront things, the way they used to uh, be on fire for God, I'll tell you, most churches run them out of town. I remember years ago, Dr. Van, I know I'm getting off track, but that's all right. We'll get back sooner or later. Anyway, I remember Dr. Paul Vandermans from my hometown in Salem. And there's one section in Salem, a bunch of streets down there. Uh, that, and my uh, fa father grew up down on that town. It was called Tickle Town. It's in the middle of Salem, just these different streets. They called it Tickle Town. But old Dr. Vanderman, he grew up, he was a few years older than my father, and uh, he got saved. He went out to Bible college, went down to Bob Jones University, and he was out of the Methodist church there in Salem. He, got, he came home uh, after he graduated from Bob Jones University, he came into town and went to his home church, and he preached. When he got done preaching, the people told him, get out of here. We don't want you to hear that kind of preaching around here. Get out of here. They, they ran him off. And uh, he literally left and went to Michigan and started the church, had a huge Christian school. He's in heaven now, but a huge Christian school, huge church. What a powerful church. He had a crooked finger. He'd get preaching, he'd point it, and you didn't know if he was pointing at you or pointing at somebody over there, you know. <laughs> I say, who needs the duck, you know. He said, oh boy, I'll tell you what. I mean, he had piercing eyes. What a man of God. What a powerful man as he preached. Billy Sunday, what a powerful man in preaching. Uh, they literally said that he shook hands with millions of people who got saved through his evangelistic campaigns and preaching. He said, listen, I'm against sin. He said, I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head. I'll bite it as long as I have a tooth. And when I'm old, fistless, footless, and toothless, I'll gum it till I go to glory, and it goes to perdition. And I'll tell you, that's what we need. We need old-fashioned 
revival that hates sin because of what sin does to people's lives. It ruins people's lives. We need a revival. He said this, a revival does two things. First, it returns the church from her backsliding. You know, revival is not reviving people who are out there. They need to be born again. They need life. They don't need life restored. They need life. Revival is the church getting right. The revival is the church being filled with vitality spiritually. And so revival, first of all, returns the church from her backsliding. And second, it causes the conversion of men and women. May I say this? The conversion of men and women during a revival is not because of the revival. It's because of the people of God getting right and their life becomes an influence and conviction on others. He said it's always, it always concludes with a conviction of sin on the part of the church. And then he said this, what a spell the devil seems to cast over the church today. Uh, we're living in a time in history of the church where it's just, it's okay to be all these things. You know, I was, I was told, I told you this morning, I talked to that older guy uh, Friday night and he was asking me about being a Baptist and, and all that. And, and he was uh, saying, well, if you're a Baptist, that means you're against homosexuality and homosexual marriages. And he went through this whole whole list. And I said, you're right. You got me. I'm guilty on all parts. Amen. And uh, he just stopped and sincerely looked at me. He said, you know, there's not very many of us left. He said, most churches, he was in most churches. And he said, this it grieves my heart. Most churches are going along and accepting all that stuff. And I said, well, we're not, we're not going to do that. The devil has cast a spell on the church. And the spell that has been cast on the church is that Christians think it's okay to live in sin. They think it's okay not to be in church. I, I talked to several preachers in the last month. In the last month, several preachers I talked to, and they talked to me about the trends they're seeing in the present-day church with the decline in attendance, which Christian schools closing down because of decline in enrollment. It's amazing. What, where, where is the drive and where is the desire among Christians, among Christians, to live a holy life that is acceptable unto the Lord? And so Abel had a more excellent sacrifice because he acknowledged his sin. Billy Graham said this, self-centered indulgence, pride, and a lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. People aren't ashamed, you know. I remember hearing a, a missionary talk of, um, it was, I think it was in Bible college. It might have been in a conference, I don't know. But anyway, it was years ago, I heard a missionary speaking how they were on the mission field. And that, I forget where it was at. But they were on the mission field, and they were preaching, and they were teaching the Word of God. And as the custom was in that tribal area where they were, women did not wear any tops. They were topless. And he said this. He was preaching. They were sharing the word of God. They were teaching the word of God. And all of a sudden, these women just got up. They never said anything about it. They just got up and went out. And they put clothes on and covered themselves up and came back into the meetings. Now, now we have Christians who want to walk around immodest. And they want to justify that it's okay. I, I'm telling you, things are out of whack. 
Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice because it was a sacrifice that was willing to acknowledge the sin that had destroyed his life and was destroyed his father and mother's life. So Billy Graham goes on, he says, self-indulgence, self-centered indulgence, pride, and lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. Arthur Pink said this, the nature of Christ's salvation is woefully misrepresented by present-day evangelists. He announced a Savior from hell rather than a Savior from sin. Then he tells why. He says, and that is why so many are fatally deceived, for there, uh, for there are multitudes who wish to escape lake of fire who have no desire to be delivered from their carnality and worldliness. Oh, who doesn't want to be delivered from hell? I don't think you can run into anybody, hardly anybody that would say, well, if I got a choice to make and uh, whether to live being blessed or being live uh, eternity in hell, fire and be tormented, I don't want to go to hell. That, that They may say, okay, I want that type of a Savior. But when you say that Savior changes your life, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your life is going to change. Oh, I don't want that. Don't expect me to change anything. Don't expect me to adjust my entertainment. Don't ex expect me to change my lifestyle. And as a result of that, there is a failure to acknowledge the sinfulness of sin. Abel's offering was an excellent sacrifice because it acknowledged the effects of sin. Amen. Uh, well, um, uh, that was the last quote I had. All right, so uh, he acknowledged, his offering acknowledged his sin before God. His offering that he brought was a blood sacrifice before God. Of course, Cain's offering was that of the field, the fruit of the field, the labor of his own hands. And why is this significant? Because the sacrifice as a blood sacrifice was the sacrifice that God used. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the animal that was slain. The skins were used to cover Adam and Eve's sin. And so God used a blood sacrifice in order to provide redemption for mankind. The sacrifice Abel offered is the same type of sacrifice. Not only did, did it, uh, was it the sacrifice that God used, but it was a sacrifice that covers up sin. And Leviticus 17.11 tells us that the blood will be the atonement for our sins. Israel understood the blood that was shed was the means of covering their sins as they would offer up their sacrifices before the Lord and their blood would have to be shed. You and I, without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of sins. Uh, I was shocked when years ago when I started a church, we rented a seven-day Adventist church. I went in the seven-day Adventist church. We thought we'd use their hymnals. We started opening up their hymnals, started singing some of the hymns that we sing, and realized very quickly that any references to the blood was taken out. And so we carried our own hymnals in and used our own hymnals. We didn't sing those corrupt hymnals. And so the sacrifice... It was a sacrifice that acknowledged the covering of our sin is based on the blood that was shed. You can, we're going to be having Lord's Supper this next Sunday because it's the first Sunday in the month. 
And every time we do that, we eat of the bread, we drink of the cup, uh, because it represents that battered and bruised body of Christ and his blood that was shed. And because the blood was shed, then, then we can have an atonement for our sins. And so it was a more excellent sacrifice because it was a blood sacrifice. We must have a blood sacrifice. And then it was a sacrifice that Jesus offered. And uh, Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So you see from Genesis, from the beginning of Genesis, all the way through the Gospels, this establishment that the sacrifice that needs to be offered is a sacrifice that is a blood sacrifice. And so the sacrifice that Cain brought, it may have been one that he worked hard at putting together. It may have been a very sincere offering that he offered. But the reality is, it is not the offering that God required or desired from them. He required and desired a blood sacrifice. There are many people who are in many different religions who are committed and surrendered to everything their religion teaches. They are sincere, loving, and caring people. They're just wrong. They have to have a blood sacrifice. God will not accept any other type of sacrifice. So we see that it was a sacrifice that Jesus offered. Martin Luther said this, Christ took our sins and the sins of the whole world as well as the Father's wrath on his shoulders. And I love how he says this, and he has drowned them both in himself so that we are thereby reconciled to God and become completely righteous. The amazing thing is this, when Jesus died on the cross, he did. He consumed all the wrath of God on us upon himself. When Christ died on the cross, he literally he not only took the wrath of God upon himself, but he took all the sins of the world upon himself. And I like how he says that he drowned them in himself. And so now man can be reconciled unto God because of the sacrifice that was offered. It was a blood sacrifice. Uh, you say, why are you emphasizing that? Because so many people are getting away from the emphasis of the blood sacrifice. And people need to hear there is a way to be saved, but it's only through the blood that was shed. Yes, and so the more excellent sacrifice. So he acknowledged the sin before God. He brings a blood sacrifice and then where we read in Hebrews 11, he exercised faith in God's promises. By faith, it says, he offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. So the offering that he made was not an offering of works. It was an offering based on faith. And that faith was based on what God had said. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when we talk about salvation, we talk about reconciliation, we talk about deliverance, we talk about redemption, it has to be completely solely based on what God has said is required. And uh, so I'm so thankful that Abel was exercising faith and not demonstrating works. Cain was demonstrating works. Abel was demonstrating faith. And so without faith, it's impossible to please him. For they that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so faith, it was based on what God said. 
It was also based on what God would do. Romans 10, 13 still says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, can people really get saved? Yes, they can. I believe that with all my heart. I believe with all my heart that the blood sacrifice of Christ is sufficient today to save people. Just, they just need somebody to tell them you need to call on the Lord. And, and they can be saved just like you got saved. If God can save a wretch like me, he can save anybody. I guarantee you that. I remember years ago, Dr. Malone preached a message entitled, Getting the Hard Case Saved. <laughs> I remember the title. I don't remember the text or what he preached on, but that thing touched my heart because it gave me courage to talk to people who are difficult to lead to the Lord. And God can still save the hard case. God can still save the hardened sinner. All we have to do is present to them the truth of what God has said, that they need to be saved. And there's a sacrifice that has been made. And all they have to do is have faith to believe, to call in the name of Christ, and they can be delivered. So not only was based on what God said and what God would do, it was based on what God had done. In John chapter 6 and 37 says, And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I'm thankful that God has promised that if we come to Christ that he would save us. I, just, I really believe with all my heart that before I was ever conceived in the womb of my mother that God had a plan for my life. I believe that God knew who I was going to be. I believe that God knew that when I was going to get saved, I believe that God had a plan and a will for my life to be accomplished. And I'm glad that when that took place, that when I heard the gospel and I heard the invitation that we could receive Christ and be born again, that I responded to the invitation to come to Christ and I got saved. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And I know this, that he is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want your family lost. He doesn't want the world lost. And so we have a message to be able to present that the sacrifice that was accepted was a sacrifice that was based on faith, depending on the promises of God. D.L. Moody said this, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. You know, I'm just always thankful. I, I'm, I just am over, always overwhelmed when I think of how long my mother prayed for my father. 28 years. 28 years praying for him to be saved. What was she holding on for the, with or holding on to for those 28 years? I can tell you what it was, the promises of God. And listen, there is no promise that God can make to you that he will not complete. That it's too good to be true. Oh, God couldn't do that. Yes, he could. He can do don't, don't sit there and say, I don't think my father could get saved. Yes, he can get saved. I don't think my brothers and my sisters could get saved. Yes, they can get saved. You don't understand my coworkers. They'll never get saved. Well, you understand you were a coworker once that was lost, and you got saved. Uh, there is no promise that God has made that is too good to be true, and we stand on the promises of God. George Mueller said this, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You know what? I read that quote. And I said, boy, I understand that. There's been plenty of times I've become anxious in life and unsure what the future holds. And when that takes place, I very quickly realize that is happening because I lost my faith. And I turn to God and I pray, oh, God, increase my faith. God, help me to trust you and believe you that your promises are true even in 2019. 
And you know what? Something all happens. Anxiety flees from me. Because the peace of God who passes all understanding it fills my heart and dwells in me based on God's promises, not based on the circumstances I'm facing in life. I like what Oswald Chambers said. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. And I'm going to tell you one thing. There's been a multitude of times in life where I don't understand God's ways. But when I don't understand his ways, I trust in his promise. When I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. I just know that God's in control and God's going to show me. He's going to help me to be able to grasp what it is he wants to do in my life. And so faith. Gable brought a sacrifice that was a sacrifice of faith. And then the last thing is this. Abel had experienced a life and righteousness was given to him. He was given life. Cain, uh, certainly, you say, well, wait a minute. Abel was slain by his brother. Yes, but he had eternal life. He went in the presence of his God, never to be separated. It was based on the fact that life and righteousness is based on the promise of God. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. I'm going to be finishing up Wednesday night. The message that was a two-part message that has come into a four-part message that is entitled The Abundant Life. And uh, we can live an abundant life because God has promised us he could give us an abundant life. The problem is that we equate abundant life based on what the world states is success and what the world states is uh, what we need to enjoy. But wait a minute. The abundant life is to know God to experience his love, to be able to be aware of the fact that he's moving and, and working things in your life that is beyond your comprehension and knowledge. Our ways are not his ways, and God is always going to put me in a position where I can enjoy his blessings and his promises in my life. I'll tell you, when I was in Bible college, I'll tell you, I, just, I can't get over what went on when I was in Bible college. God taught me so much in enjoying a new life. I'd only been saved a year, and I'm in Bible college. Be able to see people get saved. Be able to see people's lives get changed. Be able to see family members back in New Jersey whom we couldn't even come and see because we didn't have any money to drive back to New Jersey, but pray for them and have them call you up and want to be saved. I'm telling you, God's promises are real, and he gives us a life that is abundant, and it's, it's a wonderful life that we have in Christ Jesus. But it's also this life and righteousness was given him is a, the process of God. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse 21, tells us that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. God has a process of working in our life. And it's his grace that is extended to us. He saves us by his grace. He keeps us by his grace. He moves and blesses us in every hour of our life by his grace. The reality is we deserve nothing from God. But yet God gives us everything. It's just an amazing thing to watch the process of God working in us. Oswald Chambers said this. Today, Jesus Christ is being dispatched as the figurehead of a religion, a mere example. 
He is that, but he is infinitely more. He is salvation itself. He is the gospel of God. Now, folks, we have a wonderful Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. His sacrifice and his life that he offered uh, is a fulfillment, if you will, or an example of the sacrifice that Abel brought before the Lord. It was a more excellent sacrifice. And it was an abundant sacrifice because of the fact uh, it was offered up in the righteousness that he received from his God. It was offered up as a testimony of the gifts of God. It was an offering that continued even after he was executed and killed, I should say, or slaughtered by his brother. And yet, being dead, his testimony still speaks. Now, I just I often wonder, I think, when, well, when I'm dead and gone... I just wonder sometimes if some of the things I've said or preached on, if people remember it. Abel is dead, but yet his testimony lives on. And I just know this, that we'll come to God through the sacrifice that's a more excellent sacrifice, is through the sacrifice of Christ and Christ alone. I tell you, God can extend your life, your testimony, throughout generation to generation to generation, a more excellent sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us this truth of the sacrifice and offering that Abel offered up. I'm thankful that it was powerful. It changed his life, certainly changed the lives of many throughout the annals of history as they read the testimony in the scriptures and yet, Lord, we have a more excellent sacrifice than that. It's even Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. And God, I pray you might build us in our faith. We might rejoice in the goodness of our God. Uh, we might embrace the life that we have through faith in that sacrifice. And, Lord, that we would never be stirred to move away or drift away from the promises that we find from our God. So bless us tonight, Lord. There may be someone that's not saved tonight. They need to come to Christ, the only sacrifice that can deliver them. There might be believers here tonight, Lord, that are just struggling. And Lord, they need to be encouraged. They need to be lifted up. May you help them to turn their hearts towards you. you convict them, Lord, that their hope is found in the Lord. And may, Lord, they surrender themselves completely anew and afresh tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's